Now, uh, this morning what we're going to do is we are going to be addressing the subject of singleness. And what I want to do is I want to look at singleness under three headings, okay? So we're going to look at the myths of singleness, then we are going to look at the options of singleness, and then we are going to conclude by looking at the purpose of singleness. So the myths, the options, and the purpose. So let's begin with the first one. The first thing I want you to see here is I want you to see the myths. Now, in this passage, what Paul does is he dispels several myths that we believe when it comes to singleness. And these are myths that singles believe or that people believe about singleness, okay? We're going to go through each one, and each of them are very important because I think these myths play a major role with how we view and how we treat singleness, okay? For some of them, we're going to jump into the passage. For other ones, we're going to just briefly touch on. So I'll be going to the passage on and off throughout these. The first one is this. The first lie, the first myth that people believe is that singleness is my identity. Singleness is my identity. And according to Paul, that's actually not true. Listen, singleness is not your identity. Singleness is your calling. Those are two different things. Because your calling can change, but your identity does not. Okay? So singleness is a calling, but it is not an identity. And the reason why we know that singleness is a calling is because Paul talks about maybe you are called to be married. He talks about over in, in, in verse 7 and 8 that maybe you, like me, you have the gift of singleness. Maybe you are called to singleness like I am, but maybe you're not. And so what you see is that the way Paul describes singleness, he describes it that in a way that singleness is a calling. It is not an identity. Now, the reason why that's so important is because that's not what a lot of single people believe. A lot of people, a lot of single people define themselves by their singleness. And so when you ask them what they are, who they are, you're more likely to find out about their singleness than you are about to find out about their Christianity. Okay? So, so, so instead of being uh, Christians who happen to be single, they are single who ha- they're singles who happen to be Christians. Their, their, their singleness defines them. Here, here, I'm going to finish a phrase for you. Some people will say, I am single because whatever you finish that sentence with will tell you if you view singleness as an identity or a calling. The only biblical way to end that sentence, I am single because, it should be I am single because I have been called to be for this season. That's the only biblical answer. Any other, any other thing behind that is unbiblical. So if, if you say I am single because I'm ugly, or I'm single because I'm fat, or I'm single because I'm a Christian, or I'm single because, you know, uh, 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 I have baggage. If you finish that comment, that statement, with anything other than I am single because I have been called to, you are making an unbiblical comment, an unbiblical statement. Your identity is not your singleness, okay? But that's true not just of singleness. Your ultimate identity doesn't come from your race. It doesn't come from your gender. It doesn't come from your socioeconomic background. Your ultimate identity comes from Jesus. Jesus is where you find your ultimate identity. So that's the first lie, a dangerous one, but that's the first one. The second lie that we, the second myth that we tell when it comes to singleness is that singleness is survived. Singleness is something you just survive. Singleness is something you just grit your teeth through and just cling on and just barely get through. Singleness is something you survive. But according to the Bible, that's not biblical. Because what the Bible says is that singleness is not something you survive. Singleness is something you steward. You are to steward your singleness, not survive it. Not barely make it, 
but you are to steward it. Now, what does it look like to steward your singleness? There's actually two ways that you can steward your singleness. The first way is you pursue maturity, and the second way is if you pursue ministry. So you pursue maturity and you pursue ministry. Let Let me explain each one. The first way that you steward your singleness is by pursuing maturity. Here's what a lot of, a lot of single people do. A lot of single people are like, hey, I, wanna, I really want to take Jesus seriously, but I'm not going to take him seriously until I settle down, until I find the right person. I, I, I really want to give the church, but I'm not, I'm not really going to get all into that until I, 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 I find the right person. I, I'm going to just use my singleness for myself, for my desires, for my needs, and, 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 and when I find the right person, I'll settle down and take God seriously. The problem is, is that that is a totally unbiblical way of viewing singleness. Because what Paul's saying is that the reason why singleness is better, we're going to talk about that in a second, is because when you're single, you are unconcerned with the things of this world. Are there some things you're concerned with? Yes, obviously, but you are less concerned because there's not as many things that you have to worry about. So, you, so, so the, the purpose of singleness is not self-preservation. The, 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 the purpose of singleness is not self-gratification. The purpose of singleness is self-donation. That's what singleness is about. That's how, that's how, that's how singleness is done. And so it does, listen, listen. Okay, I, I'm going to be a little bit, uh, you guys know me, for those of you who know me, I'm really frank and I don't really care what you think. So, so I'm going I'm to tell you something. If you are single here and this is your church and you are not serving or giving, you are sinning. Let me say that again. So I want to make sure that you didn't get lost in translation. If you are a single person, and Tri-Village is your home church, and you are not serving or giving, not either or, but both and, if you are not serving or giving, you are sinning. Because what he says is that in your singleness, you should give yourself over even more to the Lord, not less. So what you're telling Jesus is, man, you know what? I'm going I'm to give you money when, when I have more bills and more debt. When I'm married and have no money, I'm going to give you more, God, I promise. It doesn't make any sense. Hey, Lord, when I have less time, I'm going to give you my time. You're getting it totally flipped. So singleness is something you, 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 you don't just survive it, you steward it. So one of the ways you steward it is, is by, is by uh, maturing. But another way that you steward your singleness is not just by maturing, it's by ministering to people, by serving people, by giving yourself over to people. That is a very important part of singleness, ministering. You know, I don't know why we believe this lie, but one of the lies we believe is if I'm single, I can't minister to married people because I haven't experienced marriage. But listen, the Bible doesn't say you minister to people based on your life experience. The Bible says you minister to people with the word of God. So if you have the word of God, sin is still sin and repentance is still repentance. So if someone in your life is married and they're sinning, you call them out because you have every right to minister to them. It doesn't matter if you don't have the same experiences. What you minister with is the word of God. So as a single, you should be seeking purity. You should be seeking to live for Jesus. And if you see someone around you, you're like, oh, they're married. They don't struggle anymore. All a married person has done, we talked about this last week, is taking their personal problems and, has made them, and have made them marital problems. So, so, so the, the fact that I can't be used or I can't minister to anyone until I have, I'm married makes no sense. Okay? So, so singleness is not something you survive. Singleness is something you steward. Another thing I want you to see about singleness is that singleness does not, well, the lie is singleness equals loneliness. Listen, just because you're single doesn't mean you're alone. Just because you are single, 
it doesn't mean you're alone. And you know how I know that's the case? Because in Genesis, what you see in the book of Genesis, God looks at Adam and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. He doesn't say it is not good for man to be single. He says it is not good for man to be alone. In other words, the greatest need that God was fulfilling was not Adam's romantic desires, but his community desires, needs. So, so in other words, Adam, Adam, well, the reason why Adam and Eve ended up getting married is because there needed to be, you know, procreation. But, but at the end of the day, what, what Adam really needed was not marriage. He needed fellowship. That's why one of the things we brought up is that you're, you're a romantic partner doesn't complete you. They complement you. You can, be fully, you can be fully human and serve the Lord fully and experience everything that you need to experience in the gospel without ever being married. I know you can because Paul and Jesus weren't married. And no human being lived their life better or to, the, to a higher extent than Jesus Christ. And he never got married or ever had sex. So, so it shows you that, that what, what, what we were actually missing, what, Adam, what God provided for Adam, it says, he says, it's not good for you to be single. He said, it's not good for you to be alone. So if you're single, it doesn't mean you're alone. You could be single and alone, but the alone is your choice. There's a lot of, there's a lot of singles who are alone, but that's your choice. Because God doesn't say that it's better to be single he says it's bad to be alone. He's not talking about marriage as much as he's talking about friendship. That's why Jesus and Paul both had friends. You never see Paul traveling anywhere in the, in, in the, in the, in the letters or in the Gospels, not in the Gospels, in the book of Acts or in his epistles where he doesn't have people with him. He has people with him everywhere he goes, friends. Very deep relationships that Paul had. Jesus had 12 idiots that followed him everywhere he went. And I, I would have picked, there's so many better, much better people that he could have hung out with. Jesus had friends. And three of them were his best friends. So, 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 so just because you're single doesn't mean you're alone. And if you believe that lie, then the enemy's speaking to you, not God. Okay? Another one is this. Another lie that we believe is singleness means brokenness. So, so if you're single, there must be something wrong with you. You must be broken. And actually, for those of you who are married here, we actually reinforce that. When we meet someone who's been single for a period, an extended period, you're like, oh, you're, 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 you're single? What happened? Is there something wrong? Like, it's like a disease that needs to be cured. Here's how usually married people, there's two types of responses that married people have to single people. And I just thought about this between the services, so I, it might make sense, might not. I don't know. But there's, there's two responses that married people have, and, and, and both of them are sinful. One of them is to try to equip them. So you come around, you're like, oh, you're not married yet? Let me tell you what you got to do to be more desirable and more attractive. Let me equip you so that you can fix your problem. Okay? That's the first extreme that's not biblical. The second extreme are the people who don't equip singles. It's the people who are envious of singles. And you come alongside, you're like, dude, you don't know how good you got it. Marriage is horrible. Stay single. Trust me. So you have the people who are equipping you, like your Esther going into the king's palace, you know, just, just, maybe, maybe he'll pick you tonight. Like the people who are equipping you to get married. And then there's the people who are envious because you're single. And neither of those things are biblical. Listen, we're not called to equip or to be envious. We are called to encourage. I'm called to come alongside single people and not equip them for marriage or, 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 or and make them. If you do it right, you might find somebody. Not to equip them, not to be envious of them, but to encourage them in the season that they're in. That's what you and I are called to do. 
So singleness doesn't equal brokenness. And, and listen, if you're single here today and you've heard that from anyone, I apologize on behalf of the church. So, so, so let me explain it to you this way. You are broken, but it's not because of your singleness. It's because of your sinfulness. Okay? So, so the reason why you're broken is actually in the word single. If you take the first three letters and get rid of the galis, the, galis, the, the, back, the last part, the reason why you're broken is actually in the word. It's because of your sin that you're broken, but not because of your singleness. Okay? So, so, so that's important because you're like, yeah, I am broken, but I got to find the right root for my brokenness. My, my, the root of my brokenness is not my, sin, my singleness. It's my sinfulness. Here's what this means, guys. If your ultimate problem is that you're sinful, right, not that you're single, then what that means is your ultimate solution is not a spouse but a savior. That was good, so I'm going to go ahead and say that again, okay? <laughs> so so, so if, you're, if your ultimate problem is that you're sinful, not single, then that means your ultimate solution is not a spouse but a savior. That's why this is so important, and that's why that lie is so dangerous, okay? Let's go to the next. There's, there's four more. Another lie that we believe, and this is more not, single people don't believe this, but it's the people around them that believe this. People who are married look at single people, and what they think is that all singleness is created equal. They believe that on the surface, all singleness is the same. But the reality is that singleness is not the same. And singleness is different from person to person. I'll give you three reasons why. The first reason why is how did that person arrive at singleness? Some people are single because they've never been married. Some people are single because they've been widowed. Other people are single because they've been divorced. See, all those three people are single, but their singleness is very different because of what they came out of. So some never been married, some uh, uh, been divorced, and some have been widowed. All single, but all for totally different reasons, right? So that's another one way. Another way you can tell how, why it's different is not just because of how you get there, but it also has to do with your attitude. So there are two types of singles according to the Bible. There's the people who are called to singleness. Actually, I just met someone on the way out who told me, I know for a fact the Lord's called me to singleness. And she's like, and everyone, I'm the only one that's okay with it. No one's okay with it but me. My mom's not okay with it. My dad's not okay with it. My grandparents aren't okay with it. She's like, I'm 30, and I know for a fact God's called me to singleness. And so, so it's funny because people are like, people are like you're, you're getting so old, you should get married. And then she says, no, but I feel like I'm getting called to singleness. Oh, but you're too young to decide that. So, so you're too old, you should get married. But then you're too young to decide that you're called to singleness. And everyone thinks she has a problem but her. Like, you should wait a little bit, honey. Pray about it more. Okay, so singleness is not the same because some people are called to singleness and their experience is going to be very different from people who are not called to singleness, very different. So it's not just how you got there. It's not just your, your view and your attitude towards singleness, but you know another, another distinction when it comes to singles, your age. A 20-something-year-old single is very different from a 60-year-old single. Completely different challenges. There's some threads that are similar, but it's completely different challenges. One's worried about paying off college debt, and the other one's worried about burying their parents. When you treat them the same, it's not fair. It's actually laziness from whoever's the one doing the ministry. It's laziness. It's you're not taking time to actually find out who you're ministering to. 
So I feel bad for the people who are, who are older and they're single because they get treated the same way the 20-somethings do. Like, oh, we have a ministry for you. And maybe you'll find somebody. No, you can't treat people the same because singleness is different from person to person. Okay? It's not the same. Another lie that we believe is that singleness is not difficult. Singleness is extremely difficult. It is very, very hard. You know why? Because we live in a fallen, sinful world. And singleness is very, very hard. I'll admit it. I was probably one of the worst single people of all time. I was horrible at singleness. Horrible. And you know how I know? Because when I was single, because I've always feared man, I've always tried to find my ultimate acceptance and approval horizontally from man instead of vertically from God. What I tried to do when I was single is I couldn't be alone because if I was alone, if I wasn't with somebody, then that would mean I was less than. That would mean I wasn't loved. That would mean I, was, I, was not, I wasn't being approved. And so I always had to be in a relationship or about to be in a relationship because I, I couldn't be by myself. I was terrible as a single because singleness is hard. As a matter of fact, I was so bad at singleness that I actually had this back when you could burn CDs. I had, I had this 10-track album that I would burn on a CD and give to every girl I started talking to. Like I, and and it, it had been years since I had listened to any of the songs, but that was just what I did. I'm like, oh, girl, oh, hey, hey, we're getting to that next level. There's the album, okay? <laughs> and it wasn't Christian music, all right? So it, it's, it's R. Kelly and Genuine and Je- Jodeci, and it's all these, like, romantic sex songs, and, girl, I love you, you my, you my boo, you know, like, it's just. So that was just the album I made. Like, hey, we're at, we're at the CD level. That's how much you mean to me. And I remember when I started dating my wife, I, I just did what I always do. So I burned the 10 songs and I gave it to her. I'm like, here, girl, listen to this. This is how I feel, right? I didn't even remember what was on the album anymore. I just, that was my next step. And I remember that she ended up, there was, there was one song. We had literally known each other for like a month. And there was one song about, girl, I love you and I want to marry you and you're going to have kids. And she's like freaking out. Like she called me. She's like, you know the one song, Differences by Genuine? I was like, yeah, best song of all time. And? And she's like do you really feel that? Like, we just met, you know? And I'm like, oh, what does the song say? Like, I had forgotten what the song said. <laughs> and, and, and it ended up being like our song song. And then my, 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 my best friend, who's a pastor in Florida, he, on our wedding day, he's like, bro, when are you going to tell your wife that you had the same song with like everyone you've ever dated? I'm like, I don't know, bro. But it's going to have to be after we get married because this, <laughs> this thing might not end well if she finds out. And so I eventually told her it didn't go well. And... Um, Anytime we're listening to Pandora now and Differences by Genuine comes around, like she punches me in the arm. I'm like, ah, I'm sorry. (laughs) So there's a lot of baggage now. But anyway, so I was a terrible, terrible single person. Terrible. Because singleness is hard. And anyone who tells you it's not hard is lying to you. And listen, being a Christian single is even harder. Because you're, you're surrounded by people who are telling you that in order for you to be fixed, in order for your cure to be, to be healed, you need to get in a relationship. And so it's already hard enough in the world, but when you get into Christian circles and the pressure is ongoing, listen, parents, you know what the worst thing you can tell your child if they're not married yet is, oh, God's got someone for you. Because you don't know that. What if God isn't calling them to be married? Oh, but I want grandkids. Well, God's not about your grandkids. (laughs) See, and and this is the thing. In God's eyes, there's not even such thing as dating. In God's eyes, you're either single or you're married. So God's not Facebook. Like God's not, like God's not following your relationship status like, oh, my gosh, it's complicated. Oh, my gosh. In God's eyes, you're single or you're married. 
You know why the Bible, if I ever did a series on dating, you know why I wouldn't be able to? Because the Bible doesn't say anything about dating. It didn't exist. You were either single or you were married. So when you pray for your children, when you encourage your children, please don't tell them they're going to get married because you don't know because you're not God. Okay? So all singleness is, is, is the same. That's a lie. All singleness is not difficult. Singleness is diffi- not difficult. That's a lie. Another one is a very big lie that we believe in the church is that singleness is not better than marriage. But here's what it says. This is what it says. This is crazy. And, and I actually tried to emphasize it when I read it. If you look at verse 38, Paul says, so then he who marries the virgin does right. Listen to this. But he who does not marry her does what? Better. So according to Paul, not only is singleness a valid option, but singleness is better than being married. Now here's the thing. In our day, that's a pretty big thing for someone to say. But in Paul's day, this would have been this would have blown people out of the water because I brought up last week that the only people in those days that were uh, the only people in those days that were single were prostitutes and eunuchs. There was no such thing as an adult single in Paul's day. And when you were a widow, Julius Caesar actually had a law that within two years you had to be married because if you weren't, you would start getting taxed because singleness was that bad. And so Paul shows up and says, "Listen, not only is singleness a viable option, it's a better option." That would have been crazy. Because back then, a widow choosing to not get married, they were losing an inheritance, they were losing a legacy, they were losing a name, they were losing a family. But the reason why they weren't losing it if they were Christians is because in Jesus, they have a legacy, an inheritance, a name, and a family. So the gospel gave them everything that the culture would give them, but eternally instead of temporary. So singleness is better than marriage. Better. Get that through your head. The people around you who aren't married yet, they're in a better place, according to Paul. And Paul actually says in the passage, why? He says, because you have less concern and more commitment. When you are single, you have less concern. The word concern there in the passage, it means worry, anxiety. You have less concern, less worry, less anxiety, and you have more commitment. It says undivided devotion. The word undivided means unhindered, undistracted. And then the word devotion means holiness. It means to be set apart. It means to be uh, uh, given over to the Lord, to, to be dedicated to the Lord. So according to Paul, the reason why singleness is better is because not only do you have less concern, but you also have more commitment. There's, a, there's a, 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 a pastor, Peter Wagner, and he was friends with John Stott. And John Stott was this Anglican pastor, uh, theologian who died a few years ago. But uh, John Stott has written commentaries. He's done all these, a lot of people have heard John Stott's name. A lot of people don't know is that John Stott never got married. He was never married. And Peter Wagner said, actually, he actually wrote in a book once on marriage. He said, I'm sitting at my house with my wife and children, and John's somewhere writing a commentary. John was able to do more for Jesus because he was single. So singleness is better because you get to spend more time with Jesus. And that's not bad or good. It's just the reality of it. Because if I'm married and I don't spend time with my wife and my children because I'm with Jesus, Jesus doesn't want that. That's what he says. If you're going to marry, do it well. And to do it well, you have to think about your wife and serve her. So it's better not to marry if you're going to serve me fully because once you do that, you got to stop. There's things that are not the same anymore. Okay? So the final lie is this. Singleness means that you are incomplete. What we said two weeks ago, though, when we were looking in Genesis chapter 2, is that your partner, your romantic partner, doesn't complete you, they complement you. That's very different. The only being in the universe that completes you is God. That's why people can never get married, and it's okay. 
Because your, 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 your partner doesn't complete you, they compliment you. So whether you experience that compliment or not, you can be complete and fully alive in Jesus. And you know you can because Jesus did it. And Paul did it. And a lot of other people did it. You see people all throughout, the, I think it's Lydia who was single when she came to the Lord. The, the, the Ethiopian eunuch was single when he came to the Lord. And there, there's tons of single people in the book of Acts who, who get transformed. I'm pretty sure Timothy was single. People who gave their life over to the Lord, never got married, and God, not only did he honor it, he blessed it. So singleness does not equal incompleteness. So those are just some of the lies. Um, there's more, but those are the ones I want to focus on here this morning. So now that we've looked at the lies, the myths of singleness, I want to switch gears and I want to look at the options, the options of singleness. According to Paul, there are two options that every single person has. There are two options that every person who's single can choose from. Look, look what it says here in the passage. I want to start reading in verse 36. It says, if anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorable toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will and has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then who, he who marries uh, the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. So what he does in verses 36 through 38 is he essentially gives us two options. Every single person has two options. You are either called to be married one day or you are called to be single. Those are your two choices. Either you get married one day or you don't get married one day. And what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to talk to the two groups of singles because they are very different. The first group I want to talk to are the people who are single who hope to be married one day. Here's what's interesting about this passage. You know that you are called to singleness. If you put verse 36 back up, you know you are called to singleness by how you are able to handle your sexuality. He says if, if someone is worried that they can't act honorably and that his passions are too strong, that's one of the ways you can tell that you might be called to marriage. Because, because in, in verse 7 and 8, he says, it is better to be married than to burn with passion. Okay? So, so, so you got to figure out, if, if you figure out, am I someone who's called to singleness or not? You know by how your relationship with sexuality is going. You know with, with how your hopes and your desires go. You, you, you know by how you're processing things. Do you see yourself married? Do you see yourself having kids? Do you see that in your future? If you do, then there's a good chance that God might be calling you to it. God's not trying to force something on you that's not for you. It's a calling. Singleness is a calling. Paul actually describes it as a gift. He says, if you have the gift, I have. Uh, praise God. If you don't, you don't. Okay? But it's a calling. Now, let, let me talk to you about, let's say that you're someone who has, has processed it and you know you want to be in a relationship. There's a few things you got to process. The first thing you got to figure out is you got to make sure that you are becoming the person that, that you got to make sure that you're becoming the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Listen, singleness is not about waiting. Singleness is about worship. And so you have to steward your singleness and become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. You don't sit there on your hands. In other words, uh, uh, singleness is not ultimately about looking. It's about becoming. Okay? You have to become that person. Because if you don't become that person and you expect certain things, you're actually being hypocritical because you're expecting something from someone that you're not going to bring to the table yourself when they arrive. And uh, uh, earlier this week, I, I heard a story that I had heard before, but uh, Andy Stanley in his book, Sex and Dating, 
he has a story about a girl. He said they had, he had a bunch of young singles that were with him uh, for, he was getting ready to preach on singleness. He had a bunch of young singles from his church in Atlanta come to his office and he was interviewing them. And there was one girl who told the story and she said, you know, I, let's say her name was Brooke. I don't know. The, 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 she had a, like, the, the, real, the name wasn't real. And she said, uh, when I, when I was born, I was born into a Christian church. I grew up with Christian values. I grew up with, you know, wanting marriage to be something that was, was going to be mine one day, right? She's like, but then what ended up happening is I went to high school, and, and in particular college, I got to a place where I started to forget about the Lord, and I started to walk away from him. I, I stopped obeying his commands. I started living how I wanted to live. I was dating who I wanted to date. I was sleeping around. I was just giving myself up to people and to things that were not from the Lord. So that's what I did pretty much my whole college career. She said somewhere around her senior year in college, she was at this party, and this guy comes in. And she said that the moment he walked in, he was one of the most good-looking guys she had ever seen. And she was just so impressed by him. And because, she, because of the, the party she was at, she kind of expected him to be like all the other guys she had slept with and dated. So she approached him in that light. But to her surprise, this guy was a Christian. He was a strong Christian, actually. He wasn't drinking, and he was someone who was passionate about Jesus and his testimony. And she said that, or she's telling Andy Stanley, that right away she was just so attracted to him. But she was attracted to him in a way that she had never been attracted to someone before. Because it was like, wow, you're, you're not just attracted to me physically, but you're the person that I would have been attracted to when I was younger, when I was still taking God seriously. So it was like God was answering her prayers. And she left that party thinking, I think this is the guy that God has for me. So she got home that weekend, that following weekend, and she's sitting at her kitchen table, and her mom was like doing the, do the dishes or, or, or the laundry or something, but her mom had her back to her in the story. And she's telling her mom, and she's going on and on and on and on about this guy and how perfect he is and how godly he is and how he can lead her and just the, the family they can have. And after she finishes telling the story, there's an awkward silence. And the, the silence is so long that she's like, did my mom even hear what I just said? She's like, mom, are you listening? And her mom doesn't respond. She's like, mom, I'm talking to you. And she's like, I don't know what to tell you, she says. She's like, what do you mean you don't know what, what, what to tell me? She's like, well, here's the problem. I have no doubt that that might be the person that you're looking for. She's like, but I highly doubt that you're the person he's looking for. She's like, because based on the life you're living, I have no idea why anyone like that would have any interest in you. And the girl just started weeping, like weeping, 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 weeping. She just lost it because she knew. And she said that moment was the moment that brought her back to Jesus. I don't know if she ever got the guy, but it's what brought her back to Jesus. This is, that's big, guys. You know what's funny? I'm going to talk to you a little bit about unequally yoked and dating non-Christians in a second. But you know what's funny about Christianity? That when you date a non-Christian, you tell them, I want you to take Jesus seriously. But how can they take Jesus seriously if you're not taking Jesus seriously? What do you mean I'm not taking Jesus seriously? Well, if you're dating them, you're not taking Jesus seriously. So why would you expect them to take Jesus seriously if you're not taking Jesus seriously? That doesn't make any sense. Okay? So, so when, when you're looking for the, the right person, you have to become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. It is hypocritical and you lack integrity when you expect someone to be something that you're not. Okay? But, here, but here's the other thing. When, when we talked about this last week about compatibility. In our world, compatibility starts with sex, the physical. It, it, Tim Keller says that when most men walk into a room, if there's 10 women, six out of the 10 women are eliminated right off the bat because they don't look the right way. And one out of those six might be the person God has for you. But because you're making the decision physically and sexually, and then when you get in the relationship, within a month you're having sex with them, 
And that's the first, that's the first line of compatibility. Are we compatible sexually? But the dumb thing about trying to be compatible with someone sexually is that the amount of people you're compatible with sexually is a lot bigger than the amount of people you're compatible with relationally. Because all you need to be compatible relationally is have two, functionally, two functioning human bodies. That's all you need to be sexually compatible. Relationally compatible is a lot harder to have. But if you have sex before you find out if you're relationally compatible, then it skews your view of the relationship. And so because sex is such a beautiful, powerful thing, and that's the way God created it, we talked about it last week, it's an adhesive. Sex glues you to someone. It, like, it tapes you to someone. The more you have sex with people, the less your adhesive works. If I keep taking tape off and putting it on things, after a while the tape's gonna, that's not going to stick anymore. Your heart gets hardened. You, you can't trust anymore. You can't be vulnerable anymore. And you actually lack integrity when you expect someone to be physically naked before you, but not emotionally naked and not uh, 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 relationally naked. And, you know, in, in all the other ways that you got to be naked in order to have a real relationship. So, 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 so physical oneness should always be made in the context of co- covenant oneness. And when the covenant's gone, all you're doing is going after the physical. What Lewis says, like we said earlier, is that you're treating them like a pack of cigarettes. You smoke it, and then when you're done, you throw it out. So compatibility is huge, guys. Compatibility is huge. That's why the Bible says you can't marry someone who's not a Christian. You don't do it. See, listen, you think you're lonely as a, as a single person? Nothing compares to the loneliness of someone who's married to a non-Christian. Your loneliness doesn't even hold a candle to that person. You know why? Because if Jesus is at the center of your life, if Jesus is in the downtown of your heart, and that person is out there, either they are in the suburbs of your life and Jesus is at the downtown, or Jesus in the suburbs and they're downtown. But you can't have both there because they are going to make you choose. Jesus is going to make you choose and they're going to make you choose. It's a very lonely experience. That's why in the Bible it uses the idea of being equally yoked. And I always thought that yoked had to do with eggs. And I'm like, why is he bringing up eggs? Like, you know what I mean? Like, is it like, is this brunch? You know, like, what's going on right now? But but the Bible, when the Bible talks about being equally yoked, do not be unequally yoked with a non-Christian. What, what the, the picture that, you, that the Bible wants you to have is there, there, a yoke was this piece of wood that you would put over two animals. So over two oxen or two horse, horses or two donkeys, you would put the yoke over their shoulders. And then what they would do is that you would tie uh, the cart to the yoke and then they would pull the cart. That's what a yoke did, right? Here's what it means to be unequally yoked. The thing that a farmer would never do back then is you put a, a donkey and an ox together. You couldn't do it because the ox is up here and the donkey's down here, so the yoke is like this. So you're not making any progress when you're unequally yoked. You're actually just probably going to go in circles because the ox is the one carrying the weight of the relationship. Eventually, the ox will break down because the ox can't carry a yoke by itself. So there's no progress, and at best, you're going in circles. That's what being unequally yoked means. So, so when you, the reason why you have to be with someone who's a Christian is because someone who knows Jesus will be the same spiritual height as you and will be able to carry the weight of the relationship with you. It's not uneven, and you're going together. If I had a chair up here and there was someone next to me, I'm standing on the chair there, it's a lot easier for them to pull me down than for me to pull them up. And so as a non-Christian, as a Christian, you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date whoever I want, and I'm going to just try to pull them up. No, you can't, because only Jesus is going to do that. And you're way more likely to fall off the chair than they are to climb up on it. That's why you shouldn't be unequally yoked. That's why that's so dangerous. 
Okay? So, so the first option are the people who are looking to, to, to be married. The second option, though, are the people who don't feel called to be married. What if you're not called, if you're not, if you don't feel called to be married? Well, here's what happens if you, don't, if you don't feel called to be married. The passage says that the way you know is if you are able to control your compulsions. You have no compulsion. You, you, don't, you don't feel the temptation. Like, it, not that it, there's no temptation at all, but you're able to control it. You're able to manage it. It's not that it's easy for you, but you are able to do it. And, you're, and, and you see that maybe the Lord is calling you to something. You know, one of the ways that, that, that you can tell if you're called to lifelong singleness or not is asking yourself, Lord, what are you calling me to do? If you're being called to do something extremely difficult for the Lord, it might be that the Lord's calling you to be married, but there might be that he's not. So, for example, there's a guy, there's a, there's a missionary called, his name was C.T. Studd. He was an, a missionary in Africa, one of the, the most well-known missionaries of all time. But you know what people don't know about him? He was a terrible husband, horrible husband. The last 11 years of his marriage, he didn't see his wife. Because he was serving the Lord. C.T. Sutton should never have been married. That's the problem. He never should have been married. Same thing with John Wesley. John Wesley, the guy who started the Wesleyan denomination, one of the worst Christian husbands to ever exist. He was never home. Him and his wife would get in actual physical fights. Like she would pull his hair and they would go at it. Like there's like these legendary stories about them. And at the end of his ministry, she left him. Great Christian, horrible husband. Same thing with George Whitfield. George Whitfield is one of my heroes when it comes to preaching, but one of my anti-heroes when it comes to marriage. He was a terrible husband. There's a, there's a story in, in Whitfield's biography that his wife was on, his, on her deathbed, and he came to see if she was okay, and when he found out she was good, she hadn't even woken up yet. He's like, oh, she's good? All right, I'm out. And when she woke up, he was gone already. He wasn't there for the birth of their children. So just because, that, that's what shows you. Those men, Stud, G.C.T. Stud, Wesley and, and, and Whitfield, should never have been married. Because they should have known, based on what God's calling me to do, I can't be concerned with the things of this world and be concerned with the things of the Lord. That was poor stewardship on their, on their behalf. Okay? So what's your calling? What's God calling you? Are you able to control yourself? What is God calling you? And here's the thing I would say to a person who's called to lifelong singleness. If the reason why you're called to lifelong singleness is so that you can focus on yourself, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Because if, listen, if the reason why you're doing it is because you've been hurt or you've been uh, uh, attacked or you're bitter or you're cynical or you're just putting your guards up, if the reason why you're doing it is because you want to focus on you and focus on retirement and, and, and just really live your life, if, you, if that's the reason why you're doing it, you're doing it for a sinful reason. Because he's saying the reason why you should be single is to devote yourself to the Lord, to please the Lord. So if you're doing it to devote yourself to you and to please you, you're doing it wrong. Remember what I said earlier. It's not for self-preservation that you should be single. It's for self-donation. If you're doing it for self-preservation, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. So we looked at the myths of singleness. Um, we looked at the options of singleness. And now I want to conclude by looking at the purpose. What is the purpose of singleness? Well, in the passage, Paul tells us what the purpose of singleness is. He tells us that the purpose of singleness is to please the Lord and to have an undivided uh, devotion to him. So, 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 so in other words, the, the, to, the, the purpose of singleness, according to 1 Corinthians 7, is to please the Lord and to be devoted to him. Here's what the two words mean. Let me, let me define the two words before I tell you how you don't do it. The, 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 the first word is the word please. The, the word please in Greek, it means this. It means to be fully approved by someone 
It, also, it can also be a legal term that means to be reconciled and or to make amends with someone. That's what the word please means. Then the word, uh, uh, the word devotion is the word holiness. It means to be set apart. It means to be consecrated unto God. It means to be used for his purposes. So as a single, you are called to please God and to be uh, devoted to him, right? Here's the problem. You are terrible at both of them. Listen, if the purpose of singleness is up to you, then there's a problem. Because you fail every day at pleasing God and at devoting yourself to God. And I don't care if you're the worst single of all time like me or if you're the best single of all time like Mother Teresa. No person can actually please God. And no person can actually, and not only can they not, only can they not please God in their own strength, but they cannot devote themselves to God. They can't do it. And so the question is, what's the hope then? If my purpose is to, be, is to please God and to be devoted to God, but I fail miserably at both, how can I possibly ever have any purpose in my singleness? Well, here's why. Because even though you're terrible at your singleness, there was someone who wasn't. There was a person who lived a long time ago, and he was single from the day he was born until the day he died. And unlike you, and unlike me when I was single, he fully pleased God. And I know he fully pleased God because at his baptism, when he comes out of the water, the father says, behold, this is my son with who I am well pleased. And unlike us, he was also fully devoted to him because in the garden, he says, not my will, but your will be done. So, 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 so the only person that can, ever, that can ever actually please God and devote themselves to God in their singleness was Jesus. Jesus was the only person who did it the right way. So Jesus, listen to this. He's just like us in our singleness, but he's nothing like us in our sinfulness. So, so on the one hand, he relates to our singleness, but on the other hand, he redeems our sinfulness. So, so here's why this is good news, because some of you are like, wait, 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 wait. So all you're doing is making me feel bad, because you just told me that the purpose of singleness is to please God and to devote myself to God, but I can't do it. But who cares if Jesus did it? What does Jesus doing it have anything to do with me doing it? He doesn't help me. He's just, bravo, Jesus, that you did it, and I can't, right? Well, here's why Jesus doing it is the best news you could ever have heard as a single, because Jesus didn't remain single. See, Jesus was single throughout his earthly life. But everything Jesus did was in light of his heavenly marriage. Everything Jesus did was in light of his future spouse, his future bride, bride and his future wedding. Amen. Everything Jesus did. Amen. One of the things it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is that when we are united with Jesus, we become one spirit with him. And Martin Luther, in his book, Christian Liberty, has this beautiful section where he talks about the union that we have with Jesus. And he compares a husband and a wife. He says, think about it this way. When a wife marries a husband, let's say she has debt. Let's say she has baggage. Let's say she has issues. When she marries him, she brings all that debt and all that baggage and all those issues with her. And he does the same. He's like, but the same thing is true with Jesus, though. When we marry Jesus, all our stuff becomes his, but all his stuff becomes ours. And so now we are fully loved, fully accepted, fully approved of, fully forgiven, fully empowered because of him and not because of us. That, that's, that's the beauty of this gospel, of this good news. 
That even though we can't do it, praise be to God that Jesus did. And praise be to God that he didn't stay single. Because now that we are united with him, whether we get married or not, we're all going to be married one day. Listen, if you're not married here today, one day you will be. Right? Vertically with Jesus. But listen, if you are married here today, one day you won't be. Horizontally, you won't be anymore. See, my wife is my, my spouse and my sister right now. When we get to heaven, she's only my sister because marriage is no longer necessary. And what you see when you look at the gospel is that the arms that will ultimately satisfy you, the arms that will ultimately embrace you and accept you and, and give you security are not the arms of your horizontal spouse, but the arms of your vertical one. Jesus gave up his inheritance so that we might get one. Jesus gave up his family so that we might be adopted. Jesus gave up his name so that we might get an identity. He lost all those things so that we might be a part of this amazing union with him. You know, one of the stories in the Bible that most comes to mind when I think about singleness is the woman at the well. In John chapter 4, you have a woman who is a Samaritan woman, and she's at the, the well at noontime where nobody went to get water because she wanted to be alone. She, she was single, but she was also alone. And, 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 and so Jesus goes up to her, and he says, hey, can you give me water? She's like, you can't ask me for water. I'm a Samaritan. I can't give you water. And Jesus says, well, I can give you living water. And so they start talking about living water, and Jesus is like, hey, oh, you know what? I want you to go get your husband. She's like, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. You had five husbands, and the guy that you're sleeping with now is not your husband. You're right. You don't have a husband. And it's almost like this non sequitur. Like, why is Jesus going off on this bunny trail? Like, he's talking to her about water, and then he talks to her about relations. Why would he jump from living water to relational status? Well, here's why. Because up to that point, that woman was looking for her identity, her security, her value, and her self-worth in men. Her living water, her biggest problem in her mind was her singleness, and her biggest solution was a spouse. Jesus comes and says, no, 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 no. Your biggest problem is not your singleness, it's your sinfulness. And your biggest solution is not a spouse, it's a savior. He says, drink of me and you will never thirst again. He doesn't say you'll never marry again. He says, but you don't need to marry again. You could, but you no longer have to. Because all the love and all the acceptance and all the approval that you're looking for are yours in me. You know, in our culture, there's the two extremes. Modern people tell you that you're nobody unless you have a romantic partner. Traditional people tell you you're nobody unless you have a family. The beautiful thing in Jesus is that you're given both. In the gospel, you have a spouse, and in the gospel, you have a family. Both things are given to you in him. So listen, even though your calling might change, you might go from single to married to divorced to widowed. Even though, even though your calling might change, praise be to God that your identity will never change. And listen, even though, in light of everything that Jesus did, from this moment on, if you understand the gospel, your singleness can describe you, but praise be to God that your singleness will never define you. Amen?